Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by... Brian Chasnoff, investigative reporter. And uh, we're really uh, happy today to be joined by a special guest, uh, San Antonio State Representative Trey Martinez-Fisher, the Dean of the Bear County Delegation in the Texas House. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a great time to have him on because we're just a... We're on the verge of starting another uh, legislative session, which will, I know will be really eventful and, and really unusual. Uh, Trey Martinez-Fisher, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I look forward uh, to catching up and talking a little politics. You know, there's so much to talk about with uh, regard to the legislative session and the election, but I, I wanted to start off because this has been such a big story nationally over the past week, uh, ask you for your thoughts on the lawsuit that was uh, filed on behalf of the state of Texas by Attorney General Ken Paxton last week, in which uh, he basically tried to uh, throw out the election results in four states won by Joe Biden, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, and Georgia, uh, in an effort to help Donald Trump uh, win the election. And uh, the Supreme Court, uh, as many people expected, threw it out, said that they didn't have standing to, to, to rule on it. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on uh, your reaction just as a, as a Texan, uh, not to mention, uh, an elected official when the attorney general of the United States of the, of the state of Texas, uh, files a lawsuit that many people thought was just, uh, you know, really just a kind of a, a frivolous PR exercise. You know what? I, I think it sort of just screams of, of, uh, you know, desperate, uh, desperation and, and really just kind of you know, how petty politics can be. I mean, I think that, uh, uh, you know, for, for Texas, uh, the, the tragedy here is that you know, we're spending state tax dollars. So, you know, anybody who pays into our tax system is literally helping subsidize uh, the legal budget for Ken Paxton to, to go out and play politics uh, with the state attorney general's office, not to mention, you know, sort of, you know, thumbing our noses, you know, at, at four other states that, that, uh, you know, are just minding their own business, following their own procedures. Uh, but look, I mean, the Supreme Court give them credit, uh, you know, on a Friday night, they pretty much said it's not going to happen. Uh, and, and I think that we have to, you know, have some comfort in the fact that that we do have an election procedure in this country and we do have a, a, a process that's been followed uh, since this nation uh, became an independent nation. Uh, and we saw that happen Friday night with the U.S. Supreme Court. But it really, really just takes us to you know, when you think you, you have not hit rock bottom, then here comes A.G. Paxton uh, with yet, you know, this this Hail Mary going nowhere. Uh, and, and I just really think it just it really just just turns people off when it comes to politics to to see these desperate acts as the ship begins to sink, you know, that, that they're continuing to throw these bombs to, to try to, you know, dismantle the national election. Che, what do you think this says about the future of the Republican Party in Texas? Because, I mean, you had Governor Greg Abbott essentially, you know, signing on with his support for this lawsuit. Um, do, you, do, you, do you feel like uh, 
Texas Republicans are are generally behind. We're generally behind that effort, or or is it was this a bridge too far for a lot of people? Well, you know, I think you, you raise a good question. I think that there is sort of an intramural taking place within the Republican Party, and it's this, you know, sort of battle for the soul of the of the Republican, you know, uh, identity. And, and you have, you know, some very extreme, you know, right wing leaders that that sort of, you know, you know, cling to these extreme positions. You have the chairman of the Republican Party, you know, pretty much, you know, calling for a secession of the of Texas from the union um, because of the election. Uh, you have uh, folks like A.G. Paxton that that, you know, continue to, to not acknowledge uh, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, uh, and, and you see a number of members of the a, a number of, of members of the congressional delegation that refuse to acknowledge uh, the 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 next president of the United States. Contrast that with folks like you know George W. Bush uh, and, and some other more mainstream and folks that would I guess fall more along the lines of pragmatic Republicans that that sort of are just putting their head in the sand, you know, and unfortunately, you know, I, I empathize with, with those Republicans about wanting to ignore this reality. But the truth of the matter is this is their mess. And, and it's a really a, a clarion call for Republicans to clean their own house uh, and decide, you know, what kind of party do they want to be? And if this is the party they want to be, then I think a lot of independent and pragmatic Republicans need to, you know, start, looking for another political option because it seems as if the Republican party is leaving them. And how, how worse, how much worse do you expect this to get? I mean, I don't, I don't know if you saw Stephen Miller today saying that uh, they're, they're going to have an alternate slate of electors. You know, I, I think, I mean, I think you're right. Where, where does this end? I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you would, would hope that, you know, after the November election that, you know, Republicans would then, you know, move forward and, and, and sort of embrace, you know, a new administration, a new way of doing things. They still have the majority of the U.S. Senate. It's not as if, you know, they're, they're going to be on the sidelines here. Uh, it's a time for governing. And I think that the American people uh, have an expectation that, that the politics and the silly season is now over. We need to actually govern and fix some problems. And, and it seems to me like the focus of the Oh, the remaining days of the Trump administration seems to be about how to hijack an election versus how to come up with a national response uh, to a global pandemic, uh, beginning with an effective distribution uh, of the Pfizer vaccine. I mean, it just seems like we have the priorities in the wrong places these days. Right. Um, Obviously, last month we had the, the national election in Texas. I think there were many people who thought that this would be uh, a year when uh, Democrats might be able to flip the Texas House. They needed to, to gain uh, nine seats to do that. And, uh, you know, to, to the surprise of many people, uh, the, the, there was no real net uh, change in the Texas House. The Republicans still have 83 of the 150 seats. Democrats have 67. Democrats did gain one one seat in the in the Texas Senate. But, um, you know, and a week before the election, uh, you had announced your uh, interest in running for House Speaker, you know, which is obviously contingent on uh, Democrats being able to take control of the Texas House. W- what what do you think happened there in the, the election? What what surprised you about it? And, and, and what uh, what went according to your expectations? Well, I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, I mean, everybody that uh, was consumed in the November election for the legislature I mean, all of the smart money uh, was on Texas Democrats. And, and, you know, you're talking about a campaign organization that raised just a little over $10 million uh, 
for this last legislative cycle to give you a comparison. Two years ago, the very same entity that led for an increase in, you know, that, that led the effort to, to increase Democratic seats raised just over a million. And, and so mm-hmm. the momentum and the enthusiasm was definitely behind, you know, Democrats. You know, how we lost, why we lost, I think is really subject to a myriad of interpretations. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, you know, uh, we won the presidency. Uh, and I think it's, it's very it's very easy to sort of, you know, you know, lose the, the forest for the trees. And, and mm-hmm. while I, I wanted to win the Texas House, in fact, I filed to be the House Speaker. I was so confident in our majority. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it, you, you can't compare losses in Harris County with losses in Collin County. I mean, we are playing. Think about this. We, we are competing uh, for legislative races uh, on maps that were that were drawn by Republicans for Republicans. So the notion, you know, that we are competing for these seats. I mean, we're just we're kind of lucky to be there because, it, you know, the way Republicans drew these maps and redistricting, uh, they were to make themselves bulletproof for the decade. Uh, and to know that we were knocking on their door within nine seats of a, of a majority just shows how the state is changing now. It's just not changing fast enough. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and but that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we go home. I mean, we will have to, you know, regroup and rebuild. I, I think the, the 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 autopsy is still being done on the election. And, you know, and, and, and frankly, you know, for all the work and effort that's been put in the election, uh, you know, I think we need to give these individuals that, that have worked on the campaigns a, an opportunity to really, you know, do a deep dive and, and, and present to us what we believe, you know, were some of the challenges and more importantly, what are the opportunities going into the, to the next, you know, election cycle, which, which you know, is already going to begin soon enough. Trey, what, what's your diagnosis for the swing toward towards Trump that we saw in the Valley? You know, it's a really good question. You know, I um, there's a really good friend of mine named Ryan Guillen, and he's been a lawmaker for a long time, and he has yeah. Zapata in Star County. And, and he would tell me that if you looked in his district, uh, there would be, you know, uh, a, a few hundred people in Star County that would vote in a Republican primary. But when you look in the general election, uh, mm-hmm. you'd see, you know, Hillary Clinton barely winning, you know, the presidential right. race in 2016. And he said, you know, we have a lot of Democratic primary voters that will vote Republican in the general. You know, when I asked him about it, I mean, it's a couple of things. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I think the oil and gas uh, sector has brought a tremendous number of jobs uh, to that area. It's really elevated, you know, a lot of individuals, not just the people that work uh, in, in the oil field, but the people who actually own the land who are benefiting, you know, from royalties and royalty checks, uh, you know, that, that, you know, talks about, you know, a Green New Deal and, and being carbon neutral, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes has a negative effect there. Uh, say what you want about ICE and the Border Patrol. And, you know, for, for people in South Texas, it's a job. Uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's stability. And so, look, I, I think, you know, my preference is probably to defer to the folks down there that, that know, you know, the Valley and Valley politics, you know, well, I'm kind of looking at this from 10,000 feet, but right. I think there's something to be said about, you know, making it clear that we're not, you know, Latinos are not monolithic voters. I mean, we have to appeal to them individually. And there's some things happening in South Texas that are very unique to South Texas that, that uh, you know, have no sway in San Antonio. And we need to be mindful and respectful of, of that when, when we're making campaign strategy. You talked about uh, 
the drawing of district maps and how that's that's affected the politics of the state. Obviously, we're going into another round of redistricting, and uh, I mean, it appears that Republicans are going to be in in the, in the driver's seat on this. I mean, what are your concerns about it? Are there particular districts that you worry about? Or what are your what are your thoughts about how the process is going to play out? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, if Republicans are predictable, I mean, looking at the last decade for guidance, I mean, I think we're going to see, you know, uh, we're going to see massive overreach. You're going to see a number of Republicans uh, trying to, you know, bolster their districts. There there are many who have lost uh, that like to get those districts redrawn so they can come back. There are people who are there now that are hanging on by the hair of their chinny chin chin. And so they're going to want to grow, you know, their districts to to have, you know, you know, solid Republican majorities. And then you have populations in West Texas. I mean, let's just face it, you know, population is declining in rural Texas. Right. And so what do you do? Uh, how do you watch this fight play out? And, and what I think, you know, when 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 we sort of watch this thing, you're also going to see this division that we talked about in the first segment, uh, which is really going to be a war of between pragmatic and moderate Republicans versus, you know, ultra conservative uh, libertarian type Republicans. Uh, and, and, you know, let's face it, they don't like each other. Uh, and the notion uh, of one, you know, wing of the Republican Party drawing the map at the expense of others, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's just going to be an exercise of Republicans versus Democrats. I think mm-hmm. you're going to see an exercise where it's going to be Republican on Republican. And, you know, and, and the folks that get hurt in this mm-hmm. process, are going to be minority voters, going to be African-American, Hispanic voters that are certainly the ones growing the state. You know, Latino population growth is what's fueling uh, our explosive growth in this country, or at least in this state. Uh, We will benefit from it in terms of receiving congressional seats. But when these maps are drawn, these folks will be marginalized and left on the sidelines and and somebody else, uh, you know, will go to Congress uh, and and not, not a voice of the minority community. Uh, you all are going into another uh, legislative session soon. It it looks like the, the new speaker will be uh, Dade Phelan, uh, a Beaumont Republican. For those of us who are not real familiar with him, uh, you know, what what could can you tell our listeners about him and what uh, what kind of session you would expect um, with him in, uh, in that position? You know, a couple of things. I mean, number one, on the surface, he'll appear to be you know very young. I think he's been there three, if not four terms. But, you know, Dade is is actually worked in the legislature as a staffer in both the House and the Senate. He knows the process very, very well. He worked for a gentleman in the House by the name of Mark Stiles, who was a very powerful Democratic figure, uh, you know, back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and so, look, you know, Dade understands the process and he can navigate public policy. I think, you know, Dade's challenge is going to be is, is that he is sort of surrounded by, by people in his caucus that, you know, want to settle scores. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. hear more, you know, talk about, you know, there being a, sort of a Republican grudge, you know, match uh, against Democrats uh, because of the election outcome, because of the amount of investment that, that took place in these races. And so I think really Dade's biggest challenge is really going to be to rein all that in. I think, you know, many of us, I've worked with Dade, we actually worked on some legislation this last session, and, and I found him to be you know, just, you know, a man of his word and, and somebody who's going to, you know, work hard and he's going to do what he says. But, you know, politics is politics. And, and sometimes right. you sort of get caught up in the, you know, you got to dance with the folks who brought you. And, and, and so, you know, I hope, you know, that 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 the first instance that, that, that Dade has as speaker is that, you know, he lets us know very clearly, you know, what kind of session he expects to have and, and what kind of participation he expects to see 
from members of both parties. And once we understand those ground rules and we can decide, you know, whether we can work together pragmatically or whether we're going to, you know, have to really, you know, defend our positions on behalf of our constituents. Uh, obviously, this is going to be a, a session unlike any other. And, and by the way, uh, just before we get into some of the, the policy uh, uh, issues, what 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 is your expectation as far as the way the session is going to play out with the public health concerns that are still there uh, regarding uh, COVID nineteen? Uh, will the, will there be fewer days in which you all will be in session? Will will some of it happen virtually? What what are you hearing about that? No, it's a good question. I mean, look, number one, we have to we have to acknowledge you know the 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 health consequences of this pandemic, you know, and how how deadly uh, COVID is. So we have to seriously respect that. That being said. Uh, you know, members of the legislature have have virtually been on the sidelines, uh, you know, since this entire year. Uh, our voices have been muted. You know, the governor has pretty much quarterbacked this pandemic uh, to the exclusion of the rest of us. And this is our one and only opportunity to actually, you know, weigh in and, and, and pass legislation uh, to, to, to give voice, you know, to our policy views. So, you know, my general view is any limitation we have this session, it, it, we have to balance the, the health needs uh, of COVID with our ability to, to represent our districts. Uh, if, we, if, we, if, we, if we put, you know, a set of guardrails on this legislative session, then we are limiting our participation in the process. I, I've actually offered a rule proposal to allow us to legislate virtually. Uh, there's already an existing proposal to allow virtual representation from our capital offices. I have now asked for that same proposal to be expanded to our district offices. You know, we have members of our delegation that are single parents. They may have a child who's virtual learning. Uh, you know, one of us may have to quarantine between now and May. Uh, the right. easiest thing I can do is I can clear out my district office and govern uh, from my office at 410 and Babcock uh, and, and, and make sure that that I'm OK. And so I think we need to do everything we can from a health and safety perspective to allow us to participate. And, and you know, I, I won't necessarily think that you know, there are some people who just want to get us out of town. And, and I think that that sometimes can be bad when it comes to public policy outcomes. Hey, Trey, so on the topic of COVID, how would you rate the governor's uh, job this year? You know, look, I, I think, you know, the, the, the governor, obviously, you, you know, there was a time where he, you know, sort of stepped out of the way and he said, local governments, you're in charge. And, and I thought that when he did that, you know, that was the time that we saw local governments really coming up with robust plans that really fit our communities. And I think that we really, you know, we really, you know, addressed the issue of COVID head on uh, using very local and unique approaches. Then, you know, the governor sort of fell into this mantra, this Trump mantra of, you know, whether this is real or not, or whether we really have to take extreme safety measures and, and has really just sort of loopholed this COVID response uh, to the point of, you know, us having some of the highest metrics in the country. And so, look, I, you know, I, you know, the governor, like everybody else, is going to be, you know, guided by the politics. And unfortunately, you know, when he did when he did what he did, people got hurt. Uh, you know, to this day, he's sitting on a few billion dollars of federal money that expire at the end of the year and has not signaled what he intends to do with that money when we have people who are unemployed, people who can't pay rent, people who don't have health insurance. And I'm not just talking about people who don't have health insurance because they're poor. I'm talking about people who lost their coverage when they lost their job, uh, people who had coverage before they were laid off. And, and so, you know, look, I, I think the, the it's very clear that we cannot have one person calling the shots when it comes to, to a, a global pandemic 
in an emergency like like COVID. And I think that as the legislature sort of saw this from the sidelines, I think we need to make sure that we have a much more active role. And we have, I mean, we have a tremendous number of safe, uh, excuse me, we have a tremendous number of subject matter experts that we need to be putting to work uh, to make sure that, that, you know, they're bringing their expertise into the discussion as well. Obviously, because of the pandemic, we're, we're looking at, uh, and the economic impact of that, we're looking at a, a, a likely budget shortfall. I mean, I've heard people saying something in the four billion to five billion range. I'm not, I'm not sure what your your thought is on that. But um, what are your concerns about this this session? And if if um, because of those budgetary constraints, we're looking at the the possibility of making of you know slashing some services in the state. And I, I mean, one thing that I think people are worried about is um, after. Uh, the commitment to increase uh, public education funding in 2019, whether that uh, could be endangered because uh, because just there's not as much, uh, not going to be as much money to go around this time. What, what are your thoughts you know, on that? No, good, good question. I mean, number one, I mean, there, there is there is enough money, even in a pandemic, to maintain our commitment to public education. You know, what, what needs to be reconsidered are the billions of dollars that we spend on you know these property tax cuts that really don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you own, I mean, I, I own a home. I pay property taxes. I, I, I care about property tax cuts. But when the average home in San Antonio at two hundred fifty thousand dollars gets a two hundred dollar tax cut, anybody who pays a mortgage and has an escrow account will never see that money because it'll be swallowed up in appraisal increases. It'll be swallowed mm-hmm. up in insurance increases. And so, look, the, the end of the day, we need to be very smart and measured when it comes to our resources. And we don't have unlimited resources, but we do have money to provide, you know, our great, for our greatest needs like public education. This session, you know, with, with tax dollars being, uh, you know, challenged, as challenged as they are from hotel taxes, alcohol taxes, sales taxes, you name it. And we're going to have a tough time. We're going to get by this next biennium, but it's going to be tough. But understand that we have $44 billion right now of, of lost revenue that could be in our tax system that we don't tax. So either through tax exemptions, sta- tax exclusions, or tax discounts. And I think we really need to study those. Now, our technology, our state has changed and has become you know, really more of an information IT, uh, you know, aerospace. Uh, our, our state has changed since the time that we were first wrote this tax code. And we need to look to see how, what are we doing to maximize those revenue dollars? You know, we were one of the last states who just recently uh, started, you know, allocating it, you know, and receiving sales tax money from internet sales. And that's actually going to bring a considerable amount of money, uh, especially with COVID, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to help pay the bills. And so look, it'll be a tough session, but don't, you know, don't forget that we have the ability to really leverage and negotiate with our federal counterparts to receive a maximum amount of federal dollars. And what I mean by that, uh, Texas continues to refuse uh, Medicaid expansion money. And this is a program that the state puts in a dollar and the federal government gives them nine back. And I can't find a single person out in the street that will not take me up on that offer if I tell them, give me a dollar, I'll give you nine back. and I think your 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 uh, San Antonio colleague Diego Bernal I think has a has a a bill that that's kind of advocating for that and it's something that I know that you all have many Democrats in 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 the legislature have been talking about for a while. Is there uh, more of an of a willingness you think uh, given the the uh, 
predicament that we're all in with the, the pandemic, that there might be more of a willingness on the part of Republicans to to compromise on that and, and just look at the reality of how much, you know, when we're a, a state that has so many uninsured people, and this is obviously with such a good deal potentially for the state, uh, do you think that the Republicans might be a little bit more willing to consider it now? You know, you have heard, uh, you know, more voices uh, from Republicans uh, about the need to, to expand Medicaid or to come up with some sort of health care solution. And, and really, I mean, that, that's, you know, that's inspiring. But at the end of the day, I mean, this has to pass the House and the Senate and the governor has to sign it. And so, you know, until we can, you know, get a, a, a clear indication from the governor of his willingness to to sign that legislation or the lieutenant governor indicating that he'd be willing to consider it. I mean, you know, make no mistake, if, if the governor of this state wanted to expand health care in the state of Texas, he can do it by himself. He has yeah. the sole authority to do it. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, while I, I think we have you know reasons to be hopeful, uh, I, I also, you know, realistic enough to know that that this does not happen when President Obama was in the White House. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened when President Trump was in the White House. Uh, And, and, uh, and, you know, while I remain hopeful that we can do something in the Biden administration, I just think that there are, you know, too many contrarians that that continue, uh, you know, to to would rather spend money to defeat the Affordable Care Act than to spend money to ensure and provide health care, you know, to our to our citizens. Before we wrap things up, I wanted to get a chance to ask you what uh, you know, what your you know, personal priorities are going into the session. What what legislation should we look for? from you and and what what are you focusing on this time around? You know, I, I'm going to be you know I, I'm I'm on ways and means, so I'm very you know always counting money, always looking at revenue sources, and and so I'll I'll always be playing a, a critical role when it comes to our state's ability to to generate revenue so that we can spend it in our appropriations budget. Uh, you know, I'm I'm concerned with this pandemic and the way it's been handled. I've been I'm very concerned about this 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 you know blatant. Uh, you know, war or assault on local officials, on county judges and on mm-hmm. mayors, uh, you know, and, and I think it's, it's gone to the point that, that I think we need to push back on that. Uh, you know, I, and I, I think that, you know, Mayor Nurnberg gets elected by voters and if he's doing a good job, voters will reelect him. If he's not, then they're going to send him home. Uh, this notion that the governor has, is, is literally, you know, bypassed local governments uh, when it comes to the response to this pandemic I think it's something that deserves, you know, a, a some some serious analysis. You know, make no mistake. Whenever the government of the state wants to push obligations down on local governments, so when we want to keep state inmates in county jails, the sheriff has no say. Uh, when road projects right. don't get funded uh, on Fredericksburg Road, which is a state road, and and Nelson Wolf wants to go fund it, you know, the the the, the state doesn't object to that. Uh, but when the when the when the when local governments want to come up with a better COVID response that fits our community, all of a sudden that becomes objectionable local govern, go, local governance. I think we need to, you know, I think we need to weigh in and, 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 you know, I'm not saying every local official does things perfectly, but, you know, 27 million people, 254 counties, the governor cannot be everywhere. Uh, right. We have local government structures for a reason and we should let them do their jobs. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap things up. Uh, Trey Martinez-Fisher, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Good luck with the coming legislative session and uh, happy holidays to you and your family. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks for having me on and let's do it again. Thanks, Trey. Thank you. All right, Gilbert. Thank you.